Happy Tuesday. Happy day after Monday. Welcome to Fearless, Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, man, I cannot overhype this show. We have an amazing show uh, planned for you today. Uh, John Stockton, the NBA Hall of Famer, one of the 75 greatest basketball players of all time. He wrote a letter uh, in support of a woman, Janet Bueller, who attended the January 6th protest of the election. Uh, she's being charged criminally by uh, the authoritarians in charge of our government. He wrote a character letter for her. He wrote a letter in support of, you know, leniency or whatever. And he's taking a lot of heat for it. He's going to come on this show and explain why he did it. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Dwayne Haskins today and who the toxicology report came out about. And he had ketamine and alcohol and uh, in his system and just some more details. Uh, a former Ohio State Buckeye, uh, Chimdi uh, Chekwa, reached out to me. Former Ohio State Buckeye, played in the NFL for four or five years with the Raiders and the, maybe the Patriots. Uh, he took offense to something I tweeted out about Haskins yesterday. Chimdi's going to come on uh, the show and explain why he was bothered by something I tweeted out about Dwayne Haskins. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, TJ Moe and Steve Kim are going to be here to help me talk about uh, Dwayne Haskins as well. Delano Squires, Professor D, is going to be here to talk about voting and have we overvalued voting. Uh, Jamel Hill and others, uh, I think it was Luther Campbell, the rapper, uh, started a conversation about asking black people why we should vote. <laughs> and uh, Delano's written a column kind of putting voting into perspective. And so we'll talk with Delano about that. Uh, we got to be quick, but not in a hurry today, because I'm trying to squeeze in a lot. I just rattled off all those different people. And so uh, I'm going to start a fire, but it's just a small fire. It's an unscripted fire. It's it's I want to expound on this Dwayne Haskins deal a little bit. The toxology report comes back and he's got this drug uh, ketamine, I believe, in the system. It, it's something they give you. Uh, it's some kind of anesthesia. It, obviously takes you off into another world. Uh, his blood alcohol level was 0.24. Uh, there was a woman in his car that ran out of gas. And I think those were the two things, but I tied it all together in a tweet yesterday that some people reacted poorly to, Chimdi, uh, certainly. Check why he, he reacted poorly to where I just rattled off, hey, the ketamine, the 0.24 blood alcohol level, woman in his car, parents didn't attend the funeral service. Hey, there's nothing to see here. Uh, yeah, and Adam Schefter was racist uh, for putting out that he had a successful Ohio State career but struggled in the NFL. Uh, anyway, people got upset. And they're missing the bigger picture here. That and, and what Gil Brandt, I want to go back to let's play, I want to play the clip of Gil Brandt, the 
longtime NFL executive in his 90s. He caught a lot of flack for his comments about Dwayne Haskins' death at the time. And I'm just wondering if we see those comments in a different light now that we have additional information. So let's start with playing the clip of Gil Brandt and what he had to say about Dwayne Haskins in real time when he died. I hate any time anybody is killed or anybody dies. Uh, but he was a guy that was living to be dead, so to speak. Uh, you know, they told him, don't under any circumstances leave school early. You just, you just don't have the work habits. You don't have this. You don't have that. What do you do? Left school early. Uh, I always can remember this. Uh, we invited players to the draft, and he was one of the players we invited to the draft. And uh, we were told, no, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have our own party. His own party was uh, a party at the bowling alley, charged him 50 bucks to get into the bowling alley for his party. Uh, it was always something, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, I'm never offside, but they keep calling me for offside. Is what it is. So, you know, it, it's a tragic thing. Anytime anybody dies, it's tragic, uh, and especially when you're 24 years old and you got to hold your whole life ahead of you. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe if he'd have stayed in school a year, uh, he wouldn't do silly things. All right. So that was Gil Brandt. 12, 14 hours after, maybe less time after learning of Dwayne Haskins' death. Everybody screamed up and down that that was totally irresponsible, it was racist, Gil Brandt must be fired, get him off radio, blah, blah, blah. Now that we have the facts in, and, and just keep in mind, Dwayne Haskins died allegedly after he got out of his car to go get gas and was trying to cross a highway, I believe with eight different lanes and he was hit by a truck and then eventually by another car, and that's what caused his death. And now we come to find out he had drugs in his system and a blood alcohol level that's three times the legal limit, I believe, in Florida. I don't want to dance on his grave. I'm not doing that. What I'm trying to say is there was more to this story and there's more we can learn from this story and that there's no problem with journalists or broadcasters exploring the truth about Dwayne Haskins in real time. The truth sets us free. That's not a saying, a slogan. That is the truth of what the gospel says to us. And so this, oh my God, don't talk about the truth about Dwayne Haskins immediately after his death. Why not? It's never a bad time to discuss the truth. And just because you're discussing the truth doesn't mean you have disrespect for Dwayne Haskins, doesn't mean you dislike Dwayne Haskins, doesn't mean you, you wanna denigrate his legacy. It means you're attracted to the truth and you wanna take his 24 years of life and learn as much from it as you can and apply it to your life or the life of a young person so that they don't make the same mistake.
But oh no, social media and the whole woke mob. Oh, it's 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 racism to talk about this. And you're, you're dancing on this great and all the athletes. I'm a former athlete. I want to be careful. But again, these athletes all want to be worshipped. All of these celebrities all want to be worshipped, even in death. How dare you say something truthful about Dwayne Haskins? He died. None of this is consistent with a biblical worldview. None of it's consistent with just a healthy approach and outlook on life. There was there was and there is far more to this Dwayne Haskins story than we're being told. This toxicology report is just part of that story, but now hopefully will allow us to have a full discussion about a young man who, from Gil Brandt to Urban Meyer, People tried to give him good advice. He took virtually none of it. And, and, and again, I understand that the young man died, but he died in a way that damaged other people. If you think the people driving the truck in the other car that hit Dwayne Haskins aren't bothered by having played any role in his death. They have scars that they will be dealing with for the rest of their lives. Dwayne Haskins, irresponsible behavior, damaged people. He didn't go jump off a bridge. He got struck by two individuals who have to live with that and carry that for the rest of their lives. He endangered himself and he endangered others, and we should be allowed to talk about it. Uh, Steve Kim, I'm uh, gonna bring him in uh, from Los Angeles. Uh, Steve, uh, I, I defended Adam Schefter at the time for his tweet that said the guys, you know, struggle to catch on in the NFL. And that, that sentence was after he said he had great success at Ohio State. Uh, but I defended Adam Schefter at the time. Uh, I defended Gil Brandt to some degree at the time. Uh, but I, I, I think Gil Brandt here uh, looks vindicated mm. because his words in context, again, he acknowledges this is a tragedy. No question about it. But I, I, I'm sorry. I, I think Gil Brandt has been uh, vindicated here. And in retrospect, he did nothing wrong. Jason, first of all, good Tuesday to you. Uh, you know, there's a phrase that I use. What is often honest is insensitive, and what is often insensitive is very honest. And look, these comments came on, uh, came out, given the time frame as being insensitive. But there used to be a time, Jason, when journalists or pundits would get criticized and ripped for being slanderous and dishonest. Now we're in an age where if it doesn't fit a narrative, they are castigated for telling the truth. Just think about that. Uh, I thought Gil Brandt was guilty of being a man of his generation. He reminds me a lot of Bob Arum, who turned 90 or 91 just a several months ago. 
And I've interviewed Bob for years. And the great thing about Bob Arum at this age, he'll say anything. The worst thing is that he'll say anything. And it makes for great fodder as a journalist or a member of the press. Gil Brandt just thought being from the era that he's at, hey, I'm going to tell the truth and lay out why that Dwayne Haskins is a cautionary tale. And it was almost his way of saying to other people, look, uh, or young players in general, specifically, hey, guys, there's a way to do things and learn from this lesson and take something from the life of Dwayne Haskins that was taken from us much too soon. As it came to Schefter, Jason, I'm with you. I, I did not understand the outrage. It was basically a throwaway line to give a little bit of context over some of the struggles that Haskins was going under. I'm racking my brain, Jason. I don't recall any other recent first-round quarterback in the Super Bowl era that was taken in the first round, Haskins was the 15th pick, who didn't even get to complete his rookie contract. Think about it, Jason. The Washington football team, I guess they're the commandos now, they thought so little of him and it soured on him so quickly, they got rid of him in two years. That's almost unprecedented. And so that is a part of Dwayne Haskins' story, unfortunately, because he made his living as a professional athlete. I did not think Schefter went overboard in just making that one note that, yes, he did struggle in the National Football League. And he struggled in Washington based on the words of Doug Williams and other people in the organization because of his irresponsible, mm. poor decision-making. That played a huge role. He had no leadership skills, according to Doug Williams, he, and, and uh, according to people in the Washington organization. And all of that, and I get that he died, and it is sad, but all of it's applicable to that night. Poor decision-making. He gets drunk. He gets in a fight with his cousin. He takes a, 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 a hallucinogen drug, ketamine. He's in a car with a woman who's not his wife uh, when he runs out of gas. There are two people, I would assume, the woman and him, and according to his wife back in Pittsburgh, Haskins had a cell phone. The rational thought, I'm out of gas, let me call Uber, let me call someone here in Florida who can help me. The rational thought isn't to call my wife or I don't know how he got, at six in the morning back in Pittsburgh. And so he gets out of the car and allegedly is hunting for gas. It's all irrational, illogical, bad decision-making brought on probably by the drugs and the alcohol. And I'm not trying to demonize this guy, but he put himself in danger. He put the young woman in his car in danger. He put the other drivers in Florida in danger. And he emotionally, I believe, wrecked two people uh, who accidentally hit him and has probably had ramifications on their lives. And so I, I'm sorry if, if I'm being impolite by discussing this. Let's go all the way back to his time at Ohio State where he set records. Very quarterback-friendly offense. But as he declared for the draft, his coach, Urban Myers, had some grave grave questions about his overall maturity 
in his ability to handle the professional lifestyle. So he gets drafted. There was a lot of conflict within the Washington organization. Is Do we pull the trigger on this guy? And I guess Daniel Snyder, from what I've read, kind of overruled everybody and say, that's our guy. We're going to pick him. Well, you know this, Jason, uh, being in a locker room, I believe from the college level on, maybe even high school, that quarterback, that starting quarterback has to be the first one last out. In other words, they have to be the first guy inside the building. They have to be the last guy outside of it, and nobody can outwork them in between. They have to set that example, both emotionally and physically and psychologically, and oftentimes, regardless of their age, they have to be the most mature. And that's where Dwayne Haskins really fell short. But again, it's no guarantee that if he spends another year or two in Columbus, that that ever changes. Now, talking about that particular accident, when that went down in April, Jason, I I sent that story over to my friend. His name is Jerry. He actually lives in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. Uh, I stayed with them right during that week as that story broke when Miami had their spring game. We traveled from the city of Miami to a soccer stadium where the Hurricanes were having their Saturday event on the 595 interstate. Jason, as you mentioned, that is not your garden variety freeway. It's the widest pathway I've ever seen. And when my friend found out about the story, he immediately texted me and said, Steve, there's something very fishy about that because I've driven that thing 5,000 times. There's almost no way that there wasn't more to this story. And and I just remember driving down on Saturday afternoon thinking, and I hate to be honest, and I don't want to come off as insensitive, but I remember thinking to myself, Dwayne Haskins had to be on something. Steve, I got to run. We're a little bit behind schedule today. Uh, But uh, thank you so much. Uh, great job as always. Uh, let me take care of some business. I don't know about you, but I love eating meat. And when I do, I not only like to get the good stuff, I like to support the little guy while I'm at it. And if you want to do the same, I've got the company for you. They're called Good Ranchers. And they only source and sell 100% American meat from local farms and ranches. You order it and they send it right to your door. And it's just that simple. And guess what? Maybe every time you walk into the grocery store, someone's putting a new label on the meat, marking it up, but that won't happen with Good Ranchers. Once you subscribe, your best price is locked in for life. Get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to save on the quality you've been looking for. Use my code fearless and enjoy your box of 100% American meat and your $30 savings. Order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. Good soldiers eat good ranchers. All right, welcome back. Uh, Let's continue our conversation about uh, Dwayne Haskins, uh, and we'll talk with uh, T.J. Moe, former Missouri Tiger uh, football player, cup of coffee in the NFL, TJ, uh, you heard my conversation with uh, Steve Kim about Dwayne Haskins, and uh, I, I can't wait. After you, I think I'm going to talk to uh, Chimdi uh, Chekwa, former Ohio State Buckeye. We had an exchange over Twitter uh, about 
Dwayne Haskins. And, and part of my conversation with Chimney is just going to be about, I think there are lessons we can learn from Dwayne Haskins and that we don't have to wait until the exact allegedly appropriate moment to have that discussion. You can discuss the truth and you should discuss the truth at all times. Uh, but, but again, I, I think the media has done a poor job of covering this story. I thought from the outset that there was more to this story and, and Dwayne Haskins' immaturity put himself in harm's way and put others in harm's way. And I feel like to some degree, Adam Schefter and even Gil Brandt have been vindicated. Completely agree. I, you know, one thing that people get upset about is that people are telling truth while they're sad. And I look, I get it. Um, but also the, the idea is there was more to him, right? They would say, why don't you name on, only the good things, leave out the bad things. My contention would be that the most good that Dwayne Haskins could possibly do right now is to be a cautionary tale. And so if you care about his life, you want to use his life now to teach young people and you can do it just on his final night. The Bible says, do not get drunk. It leads to debauchery. Well, that's what he did on his last night. He had to have had, based on his height and weight, the uh, scientists say, he had to have had at least 10 drinks within the hour or multiple hours before he got behind that wheel. That is a cautionary tale. Put yourself in that position and bad things happen. He got into a, a fight with his cousin at the bar, which perhaps led him to getting in the car driving. I don't know if that was his plan, but there's supposed to be harmony. Put yourself around good people. You were stepping out on your wife, probably. It's certainly suspicious to be in the car with someone who's not your wife in a different city at 6 a.m. in the morning. That's a cautionary tale. It's like, there's a reason. Do you want to be the person who's known late in life, right before you die, as the person who your parents wouldn't come to your funeral? I mean, there are so many lessons. It's, it's all right there in his last days of do not do this. He had so much potential. And if you have that potential, take that opportunity to learn from these things. Don't put yourself in a position where you may be the guy who was at Ohio State, one of the five premier college football teams in history. Don't be the guy who goes from that to dead at 24 because of bad decision-making. TJ, and this is a quirk, interesting thing about my personality is like, I, I'm going to tell this story and I don't know if it puts me in a good light, but within my own family, my propensity to lean into truth gets me into trouble. And it got me into the most trouble uh, when my uncle passed away. And, and I wanna be careful I unpack this story because my uncle's kids, uh, uh, particularly two of his daughters are I'm close to, they're very close to my mom. Uh, but at his, I was very close to this uncle. My favorite uncle, by far one of my favorite people on this planet. Uh, just someone I idolized. And, and what was the reality, particularly as I went into adulthood and my professional career, is I was much closer to my uncle than his kids were to him. And uh, he was a far better uncle 
than he was a father. And it haunted him late in his life. He passed from uh, issues related to cancer and other issues relatively early. And everybody, well, Jason's got to speak at his funeral because I was possibly the closest person to him, probably other than the woman he was living with at the time. And, and so I spoke at the funeral and I gave a very honest eulogy at the funeral of like, hey, my uncle John was a great uncle, but he was haunted by the mistakes he made as a father. And he wasn't, as he got towards the end of his life and he could see it coming, he was very regretful about his relationship with his own kids. And I took that message and was like, so what I want to do is, is take my uncle's life and elevate it by us applying it to our own lives and make sure that you are right with your kids and doing all the proper things because when the end comes, that's what you'll be thinking about. He won't be thinking about, man, me and Jason had some great times and what a great nephew he was and blah, blah, blah. He's gonna be, you're gonna be thinking about your own kids. Mm -hmm. And this eulogy did not land well at the funeral. And uh, the, the, the post-funeral meal and everything, the, the, the repast and all that stuff was haunted by my eulogy and people upset with me about, my uncle probably died 15, maybe 20 years ago, I can't remember, but it's still talked about within my family. I, I, I somewhat regret having done it, uh, but I know why I did it because I, I, did, I wanted to make my, uncle's life more valuable and relevant in his passing yes. and to pass on that message to anybody. Somebody in that room may have needed to hear that, uh, although other people just wanted me to get up there. And look, if I had got up there and talked about, you know, all the, the, the things me and my uncle did and, and the good times we had, it would have all been debaucherous, basically. <laughs> and it, it would, none of it would have elevated him. It would have made us all laugh. It's like one of the greatest, I hate to say this, but at the time, this is the way I thought, one of the greatest gifts my uncle ever gave me was when he moved in with a new woman, he gave me his collection of porn, his VHS porn. <laughs> and <laughs> should I tell that story at the funeral? <laughs> Does yeah. that elevate him? I don't know. <laughs> Can I, anyway, so you're, yeah. No, it's a great story, and I think that's exactly right. And it, and it goes to my point about being a cautionary tale. You were actually using your uncle's life and making it more valuable by pointing out the cautionary tale of him, right? There were parts of him that were great. There are also negative parts that you can use to make him a cautionary tale, which actually puts more value on his life. And so that there's something – I don't know if I've ever really told this story before. So um, – you had a podcast several months ago. It was a stream of consciousness about death. And so you were talking about our obsession with death and how we turn everything. Once someone dies, the second that happens. As Christians, we should not be that way. As, as we read the Bible, we should not see death in that same way. So I actually have experienced this to some degree. There's, a, there's only one death in my life that has impacted me in a way that I 
felt it for months. It was my grandfather. I've told you about him before. And so he died the, the day before my pro day in 2013. He was in the hospital, had leukemia for about 10 years, chronic leukemia. He, he was going down. We were, we were praying for a miracle, didn't get it. And so I was, I mean, he died literally right before I'm, I'm going out to, to, for the biggest, what to the time, my biggest professional day of my life. And so I'm driving back to Columbia from here, you know, and, uh, I'm yelling at God, so upset that he took the best man that I knew and I'm crying my eyes out. And it's the only time in my life, I think God reveals himself through the Bible and such. And I've, and I've heard from God that way. It's the only time in my life that I've ever actually heard from God where it felt like words coming down. He said, TJ, do you believe in me? I said, yes, that's why I'm yelling at you. He said, then why are you so upset? He's coming to be with me. And I have never looked at death the same way. So that was, you know, for me, a spiritual experience, but it changed now. There's nothing anybody can do, particularly if I know that my family member or close friend is a Christian, there's nothing you can say to devalue their life. Whatever mistakes they made here are, are they're made whole now. They're, they're in heaven, having a way better time than I am down here defending their honor. So I'm just, I'm not worried about it. And, and as you change the way you look at death, you don't, you don't stand up here and say, respect that person. I cared about them. God cares a whole lot more. And so that's the comfort that I had at one point in my life. Again, the only time in my life that I think I've ever actually heard words directly from God. And it was the comfort that, Hey man, you know, as well as anybody, this guy knows me and he's coming to be with me. Mm, good point. Hey, TJ, I want to pivot uh, to Josh Donaldson, the New York Yankees slugger, suspended for one game uh, for calling uh, Tim Anderson, Jackie, uh, <laughs> Jackie Robinson, the White Sox shortstop. He gets a one game suspension. I think it's stupid and ludicrous. We talked a lot about it yesterday. I kind of wanted to have you on yesterday to get, uh, I hate to say it, but just the white guy's perspective on this, but uh, I, I do want the white guy's perspective on this. And so uh, your thoughts on Josh Donaldson getting a one game suspension for calling someone Jackie Robinson. If I'm Josh Don Donaldson, I'm ticked because I would have just treated Tim Anderson the exact way that I would treat any white person, but I'm punished because he's black. So I've shown him the exact respect by trash talking and treating him as though he can handle it because he's equal to me. And because he happens to be black, then I get a one game suspension. Major League Baseball actually, I think puts themselves in a pretty bad light here. They have just said, you, Josh, need to treat black people with kid gloves. They can't quite handle it the same way you talk to the white guys. I mean, listen, Josh Donaldson is a known agitator. Everybody knows that he runs around the bases yelling at people, trying to get inside their heads. That's a part of baseball. He was actually awarding Tim Anderson that respect that he's right here. He's a great player. He can handle it. And in fact, he's so good. I'd like to get inside of his head to make sure he's not as good. That to me uh, is a is a bit of an issue for Major League Baseball. The other thing that I would say is Josh Donaldson said it was a joke. He he sort of backpedaled. He's like, oh, I wasn't being racist. Just a joke. I've done it. He said it before. It wasn't a joke and shouldn't have been a joke. It should have been. What I would have loved for Josh Donaldson to say is this. 
I am going to remind him for the rest of his life just how ridiculous it is that that dude compared himself to Jackie Robinson. There's a reason on April 15th every year that we all wear number 42, and it's because Jackie Robinson did something that nobody else at the time could do, and that was a guy who could control his emotions. He was handpicked. There's a great exchange. If you go read, I actually saw this on the History Channel. Branch Rickey was the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers executive who was tasked with basically going to find new talent. And so he went down and demanded, he was interviewing different players, he demanded that Robinson not respond when being on the receiving end of racial abuse. And Jackie Robinson said, are you looking for a man who's afraid to fight back? Rickey replied, I'm looking for a man with the guts enough to not fight back. That is the polar opposite of what we see with Tim Anderson. This is the guy that if he gets heckled from fans, he throws up the bird. That already happened earlier this year. This is the guy that as soon as somebody calls him something, Jackie, that he's already called himself just a couple years ago, that he's got to go to the media and call it disrespectful. And, and, and I don't play that. I don't really play anything. You know, he, he, this is the guy that in a brawl earlier this year decided it was his position to go push an umpire. He's, he is the antithesis of Jackie Robinson, because what made Jackie Robinson great was his ability to control his emotions and every day focus on himself, what he needed to do, and how he could garner the most respect without reacting. And that's why he was there. Tim Anderson wouldn't have walked one day in Jackie Robinson's shoes. That is why it's so ridiculous. Doesn't matter. Forget the talent. The talent is not what made Jackie Robinson who he was. It was his ability to control his emotions, which Tim Anderson has not shown or displayed at any point in time during his major league career. Mm, uh, Good stuff. So I think this next question would go without question the suspension is really more of a bad look for Tim Anderson than it is a deterrent in my view for Josh Donaldson completely agree and Donaldson is is um, rightfully uh, protesting or appealing the suspension because what he should say is what I just said like I was actually showing him respect are you saying that we should not speak at any point in time we shouldn't be able to ridicule anybody for their stupidity in fact if, if I were you know there's not what's there 80 or 90 black players in Major League Baseball right now all of the rest of the black players should have been offended that that idiot decided that he could call himself Jackie Robinson right because he clearly does not understand why Jackie Robinson was as special as he is okay and so he thinks it's about talent he followed up his comment about Jackie Robinson about saying, I'm bringing the fun back. If you actually believe that Jackie Robinson is an icon to us because he brought the fun to baseball, you are an idiot. And so he has no understanding about who Jackie Robinson actually is. I think all of the players across all of Major League Baseball should be ridiculing this moron who actually had the balls to call himself Jackie. All right, let me take care of a little business. We're going to do an approval rating on the other side on Tim Anderson. Uh, do you really control your retirement money? If you've got a 401k or IRA or similar retirement plan, the government actually controls it. They decide how much you can borrow and when you must pay it back, even though it's your money. Thanks to our skyrocketing national debt, who knows how much you'll have to pay in taxes during a retirement that could last 30 years. Thankfully, Bank on Yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in over 160 years. No volatility. Your plan doesn't go backward when the market tumbles. Both your principal and growth are locked in. 
You have control of your money without government penalties or restrictions on how much income you can take or when you can take it. Lastly, you get peace of mind. Perhaps the best reason of all, you'll know the minimum guaranteed value of your plan on the day you plan to tap into it and at every point along the way. You can get a free report with all the details of how adding bank on yourself to your financial plan can help you take back control of your money. Just go to bankonyourself.com fearless. That's bankonyourself.com fearless. This thing here is very consistent with the values we preach on the show. You be responsible. Take control of your money. Don't leave it in the hands of the market or someone else. You take control. Bank on yourself. All right, TJ, uh, I can't wait to see uh, where you go here on the approval rating uh, for Tim Anderson, Tim Jackie Anderson. Uh, <laughs> job perform. I think the guy, I looked it up this morning, the guy's like batting close to 360 uh, right now. Uh, he smacked a homer in Yankee Stadium uh, while getting booed. So I got to go pretty high in job performance. I'm going to give him a 23 in job performance. I don't know if you could do a much better job. I'm right behind you. I'm at a 22. He's batting 300 uh, three of the last, what, I guess almost four years now. He's over 300. So far this year, I know it's early. He's in that 300, 400, 500 club, 300 batting average, 400 on base, 500 slugging. OPS, if you're a baseball analytics nerd, you know, is the probably the stat that people look at the most. It's on base plus slugging. He's at a uh, OPS plus of 168, 68% above the average person in the league. I mean, he is crushing it as a player. Very good job performance. Still don't like him, but have to give him some credit. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, here we may have some disagreement here. Uh, character. Uh, I can find very, very little of it. Uh, and, you know, it does take something to be out there to go out and perform when a whole Yankee Stadium is booing and heckling you or whatever. So I guess there's a little character there. But other than that, I just don't see much. I give him a two in character. I gave him a seven. Now that I hear you gave him a two, I wish it would have gone lower. Uh, he called <laughs> the, uh, who was it, Brad Keller, as you referenced him yesterday, yeah. a weak blank blank mother blanker. Uh, that I think is problematic. He also, my big thing and what brings it down is he's trying to paint uh, Donaldson as a racist and that I'm not cool with. It is so obvious that <clears throat> it is so obvious that he's not only not a racist, that he was actually showing him some respect and he's trying to bring it down for that reason. Uh, again, I will stick with my seven because that's what's on the paper, but I wish I could drop it. <laughs> Authenticity. Uh... I'm actually a little high on his authenticity because uh, I, I do think he's an idiot and he believes he's an idiot and he's pro acting like an idiot. I think he's pretty authentic. I'll give him a, a 15. I think he believes the stupidity that comes out of his mouth. I'll give him a 15 in authenticity. He told everybody he feels like he's Jackie Robinson. You cannot be that authentic when you're telling everyone you feel like you are Jackie Robinson. The other thing, and this one really bothered me. I feel like Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah, that's a little different. You're, you're much closer to Denzel than he is Jackie. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> the other thing is right. this. <clears throat> uh, the, the, if you watch the interview with Tim Anderson, 
the first word he uses is disrespect. He said, I'm not going to let somebody disrespect me that way. And then a reporter said, you know, Tony LaRussa, he said it was racist. He said, yeah, there you go. It was racist. He actually got talked into calling Josh Donaldson a racist. How authentic can you be if it takes one question for you to be talked into calling someone a racist when you are the one who's raising the issue in the first place? So I gave him a six. Not very authentic. Uh, it factor. Uh, I, he might be the one of the most he's got to be one of the 10 most biggest attractions in baseball right now. Even with this controversy just helps that as well. Uh, hitting the home run in Yankee Stadium and all of that. So he's a clown in the circus, and he <laughs> performs at a really high level. So I'm kind of high on his it factor. I give him a 22. I agree. I think he's probably a top 10 attraction, top 20 player in all of baseball, particularly on the offensive side. I mean, we rattled off some of his stats. He is spectacular offensively. Um, but all of these continued sideshows are a, a serious ba barrier for him to ever move to the next level. I mean, you have to be a guy that sticks with it. He, he may win a championship at some time. He may be an MVP at some time. But if you're if we're saying 25 is the it factor, that would be Babe Ruth, right? Or Jackie Robinson, ironically. But I'm telling you that his it factor, he he's very good, has half of it. I don't think he has the character to ever get to be the guy that's actually it. So I'm going to give him a 16. All right, uh, I've got him at 62, a grease fire. TJ has him at 51, candlelit, not a dumpster fire. I'm kind of surprised there. Uh, well, TJ, I think, uh, no, 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 I don't hear tomorrow. Uh, more fearless. Welcome back. Uh, let's continue our discussion about uh, Dwayne Haskins. And we're lucky enough to be joined by uh, Chimdi Chekwa, a former Ohio State Buckeye and All-American cornerback for the Buckeyes, former NFL player with the Raiders, most notably, I believe he was a third or fourth round draft pick with the Raiders. Uh, Chimdi's about eight to 10 years older than uh, Dwayne Haskins. But I tweeted out uh, yesterday uh, some information about Dwayne Haskins, a story. It was basically I retweeted a story about Dwayne Haskins, and I put over top of the story my, the information summarizing the article, ketamine, which is a drug that they found in the system, uh, 0.24 blood alcohol level, bar fight, woman in his out-of-gas car, and parents refused to attend Pittsburgh memorial service. Then I say, nothing to see here, and I'm saying that sarcastically. And then I say, uh, sarcastically, very racist, Adam Schefter to mention he struggled in the NFL, and that's because Schefter took a lot of flack for including the fact that you know he struggled to catch on in the NFL when he announced Dwayne Haskins' death. And then I said, ended it with a non-sarcastic statement, but it, who knows what people interpret. You go from sarcasm to non-sarcasm, maybe people don't get it. But I ended by saying, Haskins endangered himself and others. Uh, Chimney Chekwa, 
former Ohio State Buckeye, I'm sure close, uh, tweeted at me yesterday, uh, yeah, so we should take every opportunity we get to throw dirt on his name. When did a black man's death become an opportunity to gain political points by pointing out his issues? Who is the, who is the grift even for in this case? And so I reached out to Chimdi uh, over uh, Twitter and said, hey man, I'd love to have you come on the show and explain to me why you're bothered and why the tweet uh, that I've sent out, why is it a grift? And, and I, I get that he's a former Ohio State Buckeye, I'm sure knows or has met Dwayne Haskins and obviously has a much more personal relationship with Dwayne than I do or most people over Twitter. So I, I get it, but I, I just don't think the tweet that I sent out is that disrespectful. And so I wanted to get Chimdi's, uh, Chimdi's uh, perspective. So uh, Chimdi, welcome to Fearless. And uh, explain to me or help me understand why uh, my tweet was offensive or, or bothersome to you. Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, I'll say thank you for bringing me on. Um, when I made the tweet, I didn't expect you to reach out to me directly. So um, I used to watch Speak for Yourself um, that's probably why your tweets continue to pop up in my um, feed. So that was probably why I came and saw that. But I think for me, and I also want to first say, uh, um, you know, prayers go out to Dwayne Haskins' family, those close to him. Um, I know they're continuing to go through a very challenging time. I think my issue primarily with the tweet, and as you mentioned, former Buckeye, right? I'm more, I'm close to the, closer to the situation. I'm probably a little bit more emotionally affected by the situation as well. Um, but the focus on, I mean, people have said it in my, in response to me that the facts are the facts. What ha what he did is what he did. He endangered himself, all those things. Um, and I don't want to dispute facts here, but I do take issue with the motivation behind, you know, tweeting out the facts. Like, is it to show that, um, it's not about race or, um, it's okay to, continue to point out the issues of someone like Dwayne, you know, the negative things that he did, the challenges he had in football because, uh, you know, he did those things and now that he's dead, we can, we can bring those things to light. I think my biggest issue is that, okay, it's okay to say, okay, this is what happened, to, to narrate the story and what happened. But also there's, a, there's an element of respect for someone who just recently passed away. And there's an opportunity to tell the story in a way that this is what it is, but also continue to respect the person and not just the person, but also those individuals who are close to Dwayne and are also grieving and affected by, you know, what currently happened or what recently happened. I should and, say. and so Chimdi, and this is my philosophy uh, that I'll stand by, but I understand why people that aren't journalists uh, maybe didn't study journalism or, or have a, a nuanced opinion about journalism, but Twitter is, is not journalism. It's, it's random thoughts, it's a stream of information, it's not journalism. And so I'm just putting out information here. I, I think you're judging it on a scale that's inappropriate for Twitter. And so you've got 280 characters and so perhaps the level of nuance you're expecting or care that you're expecting, Twitter is basically an information delivery system. 
content delivery system. And so I summarize what's in the story and then just added a tiny bit of opinion of like, hey man, this guy endangered himself and others. And instead of ignoring the story, because again, I'm, well, the sarcasm about nothing to see here, is that there is plenty more for journalists to explore around the death of Dwayne Haskins. And, and so the deep motivations that you're looking for, the deep nuanced conversation that perhaps you're looking for, for me would transpire in a column that I would write or a conversation I would have on this show. On Twitter, there's a limited amount of information you, you put it out and that's that. And so this show, and previously speak for yourself and the columns I wrote, that's where perhaps the deeper, more context-rich conversation, it's appropriate for those platforms, not for Twitter. Yeah, I understand that, but see where, where I'm challenged is, even in Twitter, I mean, you have a few characters to get a point across, to get information out there. And when you add, the little, you know, there's nothing to see here. And when you add the, you know, the parents didn't come to the uh, the ceremony or the, 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 you know, what what happened in Pittsburgh. When you add, when you connect the dots in that way, there's an, there's an, there's something being implied there. And my my question becomes, what is the motivation behind what is implied? Because what I take issue with, and my really my focus for the entire my my entire tweet is that. Is the motivation that, you know, I want to continue to communicate or focus on what I focus on, which is, you know, the left likes to use race as an opportunity to uh, continue to, to push this certain narrative. And now to counter that, I'm going to use uh, Dwayne Haskins situation to show this isn't about race. This is about he did. He had all these issues. And now this was the consequence of those issues. My issue with that is the the the, the respect of someone who passed away, and the fact that the implication there, of the, what I feel like is implied, is that because he had these issues, the fact that he died is not just a likely result, but a result that is that, that is fine because he he dealt with these these issues and it led to his death and it's okay that he's dead because this is, this is what it is. That's where I go with it because I feel like there's an opportunity, even in those few characters to say, okay, this is what happened. These are the issues that exist, but also, also, you know, a young man died, a young man lost a life, a young man who had an opportunity to change um, a lot of the issues that we have. We all have certain issues that we have to deal with and that we have to overcome and we all have an opportunity to grow out of those things. And so what I would say is the left-right dynamic that you're implying in my tweet isn't there. There is a dynamic of I felt from the very beginning, and I tweeted this out day one, I was like, this criticism of Adam Schefter for mentioning that he struggled in the NFL is over the top is over the top and anyone who deems it as racism doesn't know what they're talking about. Adam Schefter, again, he's a newsbreaker. He's, he's just trying to put a little context and here's what Dwayne Haskins 
is most known for his struggles in the NFL. That's he's even more known for that than he was his success at Ohio State. But he meant nothing malicious by it. It's just putting a tiny bit of context. And so at the time, I was like, hey, uh, this isn't racist by Adam Schefter. And when we found out a few days later that his parents didn't attend the, the service in Pittsburgh and had never met the woman he married, I was like, at that time, I was asking the question of like, well, hold on, she's in Pittsburgh and calls 911 in Florida, and she's talking to him on the phone at six in the morning when there's rumors, maybe is he liquored up or whatever. And so at the time I would say, this story doesn't add up. The parents are disconnected. And so the whole nothing to see here is my belief like, this Dwayne Haskins story and what happened here is a bit more involved and interesting than the media is letting us know. And there are things we can glean from Dwayne Haskins' life uh, that, you know, he's a public figure. People are writing about him. People are talking about him. There are things we can learn from his life and death. And I th people are interested. A 24-year-old first-round pick who dies tragically at 24, it's not uncommon or it's very commonplace for the media to try to piece together, well, what happened here, what led to this? And so as a journalist, and that's what I went to school for and studied, and that's what I've been for 30 years, I'm coming at this as a journalist. I'm not coming at this as a friend of Dwayne Haskins as, or an enemy of Dwayne Haskins. I'm coming at it as a journalist. Journalists have an interest and want to tell the full story. I get you're coming at it from Buckeye alumni and friend, but I'm at, and I get where you're coming from, but I'm a journalist. That's what I've been doing since 1990. I'm coming at it from a different perspective. Right, right. And, that, and that's, I, I think that's part of my, my issue is that I, I understand you're coming at it from a journalist perspective. And I am coming at her from a former Buckeye, um, at least from an emotional standpoint. I, I probably wouldn't even spend time on Twitter today if <laughs> if it wasn't um, a Dwayne Haskins uh, conversation. Um, but as a journalist, understanding, you know, how individuals respond to what you put out there, and understanding how they want how they consume it, and who's consuming it. I believe you understand those things. I believe you know what it, what is what will be implied by what you tweet out, right? And um, when you talk about Adam Schefter, I mean, there's some connections that were that were made in that tweet that I feel like create an implied statement that I don't think are is, is necessarily um, the way it should be implied. I'm talking about your tweet, but when you talk about what Adam Schefter put out there. Um, Adam Schefter, you know, he said what happened, and then I think I don't think it was racially motivated, but he 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 made the statement that you know, you know, this is a guy who struggled at 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 you know sticking on with the NFL. He struggled at you know uh, sticking on with Washington and Pittsburgh. What that what that does it kind of devalues the entire life of of Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins was much more than the person who struggled in the NFL, and that that's where I think the bulk of the criticism came. Now, I, I won't disagree that there was probably a bunch of people that said this, 
it was it's racist. People don't value the black life and stuff like that. But I think the bulk of the criticism of Madden Schefter is that he made a mistake, and I think he recognizes that mistake. Is in that you know he could have he could have he could have further he could have came up with a with a follow up story, talked about his, his his football career at college, his football his his struggle in the NFL. But in the initial tweet that breaks the story, to say. This is who he is, the guy who struggled in the NFL and the guy who, 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 who was recently killed. I think that's a bad way to characterize an individual in the breaking story. And as a journalism, what, what, what is your, your take on it? Well, I think it's a tweet. And again, that's really not a place for journalism, but Adam Schefter does push his information out over Twitter. He's got a different job. Ch- Chimney, what I'm asking you to do is, is recognize what Schefter's motivation and mine as journalists are. Because he also said, had great success at Ohio State, but struggled to catch on as such. He just, in a few as words as possible, given Twitter's limitations, he tried to crystallize the guy's playing career. He was known for his success at Ohio State, and he was known for his struggles in the NFL. There's no super negative or like anybody that's read that and goes, oh my God, he's just denigrated Dwayne. That's a performance done over social media. And and I say that having, and and I hate to go here, but I just want to go all the way there. I had a cousin at 26 who I helped raise. He's not some former football player. I helped, he was killed by police in Indianapolis. People said a lot of things over social media towards me about that. None of it mattered. None of it increased, decreased, disrespected my cousin, family. None of it. When we went to the funeral, when we went to the grave, it didn't increase or decrease how I felt about my cousin. And so I think a lot of this is like performative over social media that we act like Schefter's tweet or some random person's tweet has this incredible impact on how people are feeling and what and and I just don't believe it's true I choose to operate in the real world and then the other thing I I would ask you to do and very respectfully because I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation and, and I respect you have a different relationship with Dwayne than I do but what you're basically, I'm a journalist. This would be like, you, you're a defensive back in the NFL. And let's say my cousin or someone close to me played wide receiver. And I said, Chimdi, you didn't have to tackle him that hard. That's my cousin. You don't know how that made me feel, you tackling him that hard. And you would say, well, hold on. I'm a defensive back in the NFL. This is how, this is what I'm paid to do. Jason, keep your emotions, feelings out of it. This guy, the wide receiver, knows that this is the way the game is played. You know that I probably, hey, off the field, I like your cousin and respect him. But on the field, I have to tackle him as hard as I can because I want to separate him from the football. And so, journalists, it's not that we're out here trying to tackle people as hard as we can, but we have a job to do in our approach isn't going to be filled with all the emotion and empathy that a family member, a friend, a former teammate might have. And so Adam Schefter is not 
thinking about all of those things about, oh, my God, what if a friend of his, because even if he did think about what a family member thought, I would tell him not to give it much thought because having gone through this pain, what happens over Twitter is completely irrelevant. And so I get that many people have had their brains hijacked to the point that they think of Twitter as real life. I don't and journalists shouldn't. And we shouldn't be holding them to the standard of, well, they have to put this out here as delicately and as possible because who knows who's going to pretend to be offended by this. That, that, that would be my answer, Chimdi. And, and, and to be honest, I agree with all of that. The, 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 the place where it crosses the line for me or the place where I would suggest some caution in how you report or how you put out a tweet is in death. And it's uh, when someone dies, right? And, and, let, and me ask you this. let me ask you this, Chimdi, just, just so we have some foundational understanding. And I don't mean this with any snark. I'm just trying to understand. Do you, are you a Christian? Are you, do you practice any religion? I'm a Christian. And so this reverence that we have for death right now going on in this culture. I want you to check with your minister or whoever you respect or do some research, but we have a death culture right now going on that's the opposite of Christianity. And we, and, and if so, if some rapper, Nipsey Hussle, who's promoted gangster lifestyle, if he dies, oh, in death, because it's in death, now we must act like this is the greatest human being in the world and in death we gotta do, do that. I don't know if it's in complete alignment. I don't believe it's in complete alignment with how our outlook should be. And so this extra reverence we wanna give people in death, I, 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 I just, so I, 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 I don't, because if I die tomorrow and people write, if I, hop up off this show and fall over from a heart attack or any result from my gluttonous lifestyle. I would not be offended if someone wrote, well, went like that of a heart attack today. Uh, he overate his whole life. I would not be offended by that. Those are just facts. That's just the truth. And see, that's the, that's, that's where, this is why I differ. And I guess the way I think, because facts and the truth, are fine, except that facts and the truth aren't everything. I can give you a bunch of facts, I can give you a bunch of tr truth, and I can frame it in whatever way I want to tell whatever story I want to tell. And I don't, and I, and I, and there's a, I, I agree with you to, to some extent in the, the over reverence of death. I don't think that's necessarily um, the case in what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there's just a level of respect in death. I'm not talking about over reverence. Dwayne Haskins lived a, a life, you know, he lived an entire life. His life isn't minimized to struggling in Washington and struggling in, in Pittsburgh, which, by the way, he was still with Pittsburgh. He still had an opportunity to have a long career, career in Pittsburgh. His life isn't minimized to bad decisions at the end. Now, should they not be mentioned? I don't say they shouldn't be mentioned, right? But... The even in even in 280 characters, I don't even know how many characters you could put on Twitter. 
there is a level of nuance that I think an individual with a platform like you, you know, can operate under to get the point across that, look, there's more, there's more happening here than what's being discussed by the mainstream media. But also, you know, let, let's understand that this was a young guy who lost his life and who shouldn't have, right? I, now, your, your motivation for the tweet may be because you, you tweeted about it before and now some new information came out and you were back referencing that. I wasn't, I'm not privy to the past tweets. I don't know all the backstory of that. All I see, this is what happened to Dwayne Haskins. that's why I say. Then I see your tweet that says, you know, uh, this happened, this happened, parents didn't go to the... I don't, I don't, I, so I take issue with the connections there. And to me, the focus is on. I understand. I, I, I get it all. And that's why I say, honestly, you shouldn't take Twitter that seriously. That's my opinion. But it's because there's no way for you to know all of this background. And, and that's why, again, it's hard to, I try to warn, but don't jump to conclusions. Don't overreact. It's just Twitter. It's people's stream of consciousness and thoughts. If all the thoughts that run through my head, if people were exposed to, they would think I was the craziest person on the planet. They think I was probably the most dangerous person on the planet. And it's it's just not true. I want to, because I wasn't planning on keeping you this long, but I really appreciate it. You've been great. But I want to make one final point about my tweet about Dwayne Haskins and what I think there is to learn from it. And it's unfortunate. Take take my cousin that was killed by police that I helped raise. I paid for his funeral. I shed real tears. My cousin did things throughout his life that contributed, dealing drugs, arming himself, things (laughs) like that, being, you know, he, he did things that contributed and I would, told other relatives of mine, hey, look, we have to avoid this kind of behavior that puts ourselves in a vulnerable position. Dwayne Haskins, there's a story to be told. This guy had a lot of talent to be a great success in the NFL. There are people that watched his career and watched how he operated and said he made a lot of irresponsible decisions that undermined his playing career, including go all the way back to Urban Meyer saying, hey, he's too immature, he should stick around another year in college. In his final moments, and, and I'm, so, I'm not saying this to be disrespectful to him, I'm saying it to other young people. You can have all that talent, but if you go out and drink and get behind the wheel of a car and take ketamine, not only are you endangering yourself, but we have to deal with the real fact. The two people the truck driver and another car that hit him, they will carry that death for the rest of their life. They have been injured by this emotionally. Let alone, you know, accidentally running over someone. That that is, I was talking to one of our producers this morning whose sister, through no fault of her own, hit somebody and was involved in someone's death. She's carried that burden he said for years and still deals with it. And so Dwayne Haskins actions not only endangered himself, he put other people in harm's way and potentially caused, put scars on people. And there's nothing wrong with talking about that, respecting the fact he was a young guy and, had, and it is tragic, but there are things we can learn from this 
so that we don't make the same mistakes Dwayne Haskins made. Yeah, I mean, I agree that there's there's things to learn from it. Um, still, the, the and the and I don't want to speak on your your cousin, I, 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 but even in so you know talking about your cousin, the things that were were done that could potentially could have contributed. I think there's a time and a place. There's an opportunity to discuss those things. I think in the first in the immediate passing of an individual. Talking about, you know, this person contributed to their death probably is not necessarily the best way to go about talking about it, depending on what the circumstances, depending on what the circumstances. Right. How long should we wait? It's been a month or two now, right? It's been a month or two. And identifying identifying what happened, because we all had questions. We all had questions. I had questions. I'm like, you know, this happened. I don't know what happened. What actually happened? I don't know what happened. Now that we know what happened, there's fine even discussing it. It's fine discussing it. My what I'm what I took issue with is I felt, and I could be wrong, you know, there's an interpretation from a from a tweet, but I felt that it wasn't about the tweet didn't go out about, you know, guiding the young the youth and saying, you know, you probably should stay away from doing this because this you're ultimately hurting yourself and endangering others. To me, the tweet was more of, okay. That stuff wasn't about, it wasn't about race. It wasn't about any of those things. Adam Schefter was, was, it, was right in the way that he communicated about Dwayne Haskins, right? His parents refused attending the, the Pittsburgh Memorial Service. That's because they had, like, to me, if that's the tweet, then that, what it implies is, is, is more of a, a fight against this culture of you know this this culture of, of wokeism and all that all, all the stuff that is, is being uh discussed and i feel like when in, in death this is not necessarily the time to use that right i mean in the discussion gotcha. you have the ability to do gotcha. more, more, more talking you have the ability to communicate more so you can mention it but you can also highlight the fact that okay he had you know he had a bright life ahead of him all that stuff and twitter is hard to do that I I want to end on that point because I think you've made a great point. I I, I think you've made a legitimate, fair point. In death, hey, Whitlock, keep your little war against woke culture out of it. I disagree with you, but I think it's a fair point. And and I get where you're coming from. I'll just say this again, though. I'm trying to make a bigger point about, like, because I truly believe the truth sets you free and we have no reason to fear the truth. Even bad truths that make us look bad. The truth is actually our liberator. And so, and that's a biblical worldview. And so I just don't fear the truth. Other people, a lot of our culture fears the truth. We think, oh, the truth damns us. And I just don't believe that. The truth actually sets us free, even the uncomfortable truths. Chimney, I want to thank you for the time. Uh, You handled yourself very well, and I I love the points you made at the end. I think it's a fair point. I disagree with it, but I think it's a fair point. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for having me. I appreciate you bringing me on. All right. Yep, Uh, that's Chimney Chekwa. 
Uh, very good discussion. Enjoyed that. All right, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com. Uh, more Fearless. My obligation hate All right, welcome back. All right, uh, let's roll out to uh, Utah and, or I'm sorry, not Utah. <laughs> Former Utah Jazz great, John Stockton, Hall of Famer, 10-time All-Star, one of the greatest 75 players of all time in NBA history. John is back in the news again. He wrote a letter in support of Janet Bueller, I believe. Uh, she attended the uh, January 6th election protest. Uh, she did not enter the Capitol. Uh, she was, I think, charged with six different misdemeanors and I think took a plea bargain down to one of them. She's gonna be sentenced, I believe, the 1st of June. And John wrote a letter in support of her and that made news and it, it, uh, it got me excited because we had John on the program probably a month ago and, and John was pretty outspoken about uh, the COVID uh, medical trials, vaccines, and the whole mask thing. And I'm just looking at a guy uh, just come out of the closet, a true warrior. John, I gotta say, I love the fact that you're supporting uh, Janet Bueller, and, and I think this is a bold, courageous stand. I know the corporate media is probably upset with you and you're taking some heat for it but I just want to say hats off to you and show you some support and love and, and let you, why did you write the letter in support of Janet? Well, thank you for that. I, I mean, who wouldn't? I, I mean, this, what, first of all, I'm a little surprised that it's public. Um, you know, basically it's a character reference. Uh, I've known Janet for a long time, a really long time. I was asked for, a, she was already, this was many, many months ago that I wrote this, by the way, and um, I was asked for a character reference about somebody I know pretty well, and I simply write a character reference. Uh, clearly, I wasn't at January 6th. Um, she was. Uh, I don't know every detail. I'm sure they have cameras everywhere down there, so I'm, I'm sure everybody knows, but none of those apparently have been released. Um, at any rate, I, it, it isn't my it isn't my position to to comment on any of that. I simply wrote a, a what I think was a pretty nice uh, character reference from somebody I know and, and expected that to be private. And uh, the court proceedings were done. I mean, they were they whatever had happened in court had happened, and uh, it was just simply to say, hey, I think this is a pretty good person to the judge. I, I was surprised to see it out. Uh, I'm not embarrassed by it. I, I mean, I. I stand by the letter and certainly everything I said in it. Um, but I was surprised that it, that it became public. I didn't know it worked that way. And have you talked to anybody, uh, perhaps a lawyer or someone, D did this get leaked to try to embarrass you or shame you, do you think? I don't know. I mean, who knows anymore? And it's, uh, I mean, I'm, Somebody told me a long time, don't wrestle with pigs. All you do is end up getting dirty and the pigs like it. And so, I, you know, I love my life. I, I, I have chances with my, my family to do things and to waste time. Frank, frankly, chasing that sort of thing down doesn't appeal to me. So you say you've known Janet for a long time. I believe her husband was a chiropractor that worked with the team or how, what's the nature of y'all's relationship? 
Well, uh, Craig Bueller's her husband, and he was the uh, team chiropractor when I arrived with the Jazz. And, and just kind of to set the context, I didn't grow up with chiropractic. Uh, my mom was a nurse. My sister was a nurse. And, and uh, frankly, I, I didn't think much of the chiropractic profession. I watched him work on other guys. I watched him work on Adrian Dantley, Mark Eaton, and you know all the guys that were that were succeeding with the Jazz at that time. It took me two years to try even try them out. I looked in the door every day. <laughs> And uh, so this looks goofy. This looks goofy. But uh, eventually he 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 became an integral part of my health and well-being for the rest of my career. And uh, I mean, in, in a huge fashion, I, there's there's probably very few people I'm closer to that I that I uh, met in that organization than Craig. Now, I've known him and, and we have spent a lot of time together over the last 30 years, 30 plus years. So this. With that description of the relationship, writing a character reference for his wife seems like a no-brainer, but you, did you know that there perhaps was a little risk to it or potential media blowback for doing so? Um, again, I, no, I don't think I would have anticipated it because I would have never thought that that would be public. And, and I mean, when you write a character reference, and I, I do a fair amount of those for people trying to get a job or trying, you know, whatever. Um, you do it for people that you know and you like and you trust and you, and it's I mean that's how it works. You uh, you have something uh, an opportunity to say something nice about a nice person, you do it. And uh, so I, I guess I didn't think about much blowback at the time. And uh, as I as I said before, I'm not I'm not ducking it now. There's a chance because they've been over the top with their punishment of people that were there January the 6th. I think the most she could get sentenced to is a six-month prison sentence. Uh, it's probably unlikely, but based off of, you know, reading excerpts from your letter and what you're saying now, this is clearly not someone who belongs in jail. It wouldn't improve our society if Janet Bueller's in jail. I, I just couldn't, I can't imagine that. No, there's been what I the, the parts I do here, and, and granted, I'm not I'm not hearing both sides at this point. I, I uh, it's just fishy. It's fishy how a person like that. Um, my understanding is that gates were opened up, doors were opened up, people were waved in. Um, I wasn't there. I, I don't know. Um, my understanding is that you can't get in the Capitol unless those magnetically locked doors uh, are open. And um, so, so I don't know. Again, I wasn't there, and I have to really be careful with that because I, I don't want to claim something I'm not. But um, the the notion that that this woman was uh, Janet, that she was uh, a hazard to anybody, or that she did something she thought was illegal, I think that would that would shock me beyond belief that she intentionally did something she thought was illegal or even close to it. John, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to ask you this one final question, and you can pass on it if you want. But what I find so offensive, because clearly Janet is a Trump supporter, and what I find offensive is this demonization of Trump supporters, as if they're the worst people on the planet, as if they're some kind of threat to our democracy and country. I find it offensive. I, I'm a non-voter. I've never voted. I'm really not a political person. But the demonization of the hardcore Trump supporters, even 
the soft Trump supporters, that, that if somehow if you supported Donald Trump, you're a terrible, despicable human being, I find it offensive. And so that's what I, her being in the crosshairs, simply because she's a Trump supporter, I find that offensive. And, and I'm just, if you have a thought or opinion on any of that, fine. If you don't, that's fine as well. I appreciate sure. you taking the time. You betcha. I, I don't know that for sure she's a Trump supporter. I don't know. I mean, I, I think logic would suggest that she probably is, but I think, uh, it, I think she was there to support honest elections, Wh whomever is involved. I mean, really, if we don't have, if we don't have honest elections, what's the point? Um, you know, if that's, it's supposed to be a government by the people, you know, for the people. And if, if the elections aren't honest, and again, I, I can't comment on whether they were or not. I, I'm not doing the research. I know there are people that are. Um, and if she voted for Trump, I, I, you know, I don't know. That's not my call. Having said that is, yeah, uh, this, this is supposed to be a free country where you can say what you do. You, you can peacefully protest. Um, you have the right to your opinion, even if it's one I don't agree with. And, uh, again, we're, we're in real jeopardy of losing all those things. And, and that's a little bit scary. It's what, uh, you know, many of our forefathers fought for, uh, either actually in the wars or battling it here at home. And, um, I don't know, I, I, you think of, you think of, uh, George Washington. Um, I mean, they'll, they'll probably drag him down through the mud at some point in time too, but that guy could have been the king of the king of America turned it down because he believed that the process is supposed to be for the people, by the people and not about a king. And, um, you know, I think that type of leadership is the leadership we could use now. John, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, love what you're doing. Uh, it's the kind of courage I, I hope all men are inspired by. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for reaching right. out, Jason. Great to see you. Great to see you. Uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notifications, hit subscribe. All right, welcome back. Uh, we finally made it to the final leg of the relay. We went from... Oh my God, where did we start? Steve Kim, uh, then we went to uh, TJ Moe, then John Stockton, then Chimedy, uh, Chekwa, to Delano. Is that five? Did I count that right? Anyway, uh, last but not least, uh, we get to the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Delano's written a column uh, about voting and the importance of voting. And this, com this column was sparked by the rapper Luther Campbell. You guys remember Luke from Two Live Crew? Luke uh, tweeted out basically asking, why should black people vote? Give me the reasons why we should or shouldn't. And next thing you know, all the uh, leftists started chiming in, including Jamel Hill. And it sparked a column in Delano where he kind of puts in perspective, have we overvalued, undervalued voting? Are there more important issues than voting? It's a topic that I'm really into as a non-voter, someone who's previously never voted because I just think there are more important things. And, and I get the whole historical deal, oh, your ancestors uh, fought and died and sacrificed for your right to vote. I completely disagree with that, Delano. 
they fought and died for my freedom and for my uh, opportunity to pursue life, liberty, and happiness here in America. Voting is, you know, a, attached to a lot of people's life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but hasn't been mine. So anyway, uh, Delano, uh, do a little better job than I did of characterizing uh, your column today. I, th I think you hit on the main points, Jason, and, and as you said, uh, the conversation was sparked by um, Luke, aka Uncle Luke, and you know Jamel Hill, Joy Reid, Anna Navarro from from The View all chimed in, and you know they were listing reasons why black folks need to vote and you know access to abortion and all sorts of other things that you you know the normal things that they talk about. Um, my 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 general take on it is that voting is important. Um, as because we live in a, um, a constitutional republic and, and you know, we elect our leaders to represent our interests in every level of government. So voting is important, right? You, it's, it's part of what comes with being a citizen. And people can exercise that right in whatever, whichever way they see fit. Some people you know, focus a lot on the presidential elections and not as much on their local elections. Some people do the opposite. Some people don't vote at any level. And those are the things that are available to you as a, as, a, as a free citizen. My position is that, particularly in the black community, the overemphasis on uh, political power as the primary vehicle for social and economic progress has been a complete failure over the last 60 years. That's my position. So on, on one hand, and there's, you know, there's, there's sort of two bookends here, on one hand you have the, the mass mobilization of, you know, black Americans and others, but particularly I'm talking, I'm thinking about the civil rights movement, where agitation for, you know, political change meant that black people became equal citizens in a country that had previously denied them rights. We all celebrate that Civil Rights Act 1964, Voting Rights Act, Fair Housing Act, all those different things. But then what happened is that some of these same black leaders said, well, we got equal protection of our rights. Now we're looking for um, you know, equal outcomes when it comes to progress. And they have been riding that train, and particularly as it relates to getting more black people elected on a local, state, federal level, they've been riding that train um, for a long time. And obviously, the, the, the high point of that was the election of Barack Obama in 2008. And even since then, it's been the same thing. Vote as if your life depends on it. Vote or Republicans are going to put you back in chains. Vote, 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 vote. And what I said on Twitter is that if we, black people, put as much emphasis and we're as tenacious in policing our culture, our norms, our values, and our beliefs as we are in ensuring that people turn out to the polls every four years, then our communities will look very, very different. Delano, one of the things like early on in your column, you, you reference what people are saying the benefits of voting are and it's access to abortion. And then, and then I think it was Anna Navarro said uh, the 10 people shot in mm -hmm. Buffalo. That's why you should vote. And 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 I'm, I'm just I'm trying to connect the dots on how voting is going to determine whether some lunatic nut job uh, shoots up a grocery store in Buffalo and, and then 
also, I'm, I'm just wondering, and again, that's a tragic incident, but if Anna Navarro knows anything about black communities in urban settings, they're terrorized by gun violence on a pretty much a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand why she wouldn't connect voting to that rather than something highly unlikely to happen as opposed to something that's happening in these communities pretty routinely. Now, the interesting thing is that, you know, a lot of people dunked on Anna Navarro, said, please delete this, and how dare you? But she was actually being a lot more honest than your average sort of national Democratic politician, because this is exactly what they do. They will sort of weed through, you know, all of the, the street crime incidents from city to city, you know, St. Louis and Atlanta, New Orleans, New York, Baltimore, right? They will sweep all of those dead black bodies to the side and they will find a handful of incidents, obviously a tragic mass shooting in Buffalo or an issue involving the police or a white vigilante, all right? So they'll pick out the Ahmaud Arbery, they'll, they'll pick out, you know, Michael Brown, regardless of how the case actually ends up being sort of uh, uh, settled, they'll pick out the incident and they'll say, see, this is what black, being black in America is like, regardless of, you know, tw in 2014, 2016, 2022. And we need uh, more people like us in, in the halls of Congress in every level of government, in industry, in media, in journalism, to tell our stories and to make sure that these things don't happen, right? So th they have they have no interest in the day-to-day -day realities of, of uh, life in, in some of our biggest cities because those victims don't matter because to be quite frank, these, to be quite frank, these people are vultures and when a black person is killed by another black person, uh, that body doesn't have enough meat on it. There's not enough meat for anybody to pick off. So at best, there may be some local activists, right, who, and, and now to be fair, I think in a more sincere spirit of concern, say, hey, we need to address these things. But the people that swoop in, Jason, that, that you know, they, they, they're in the skies and they're, they're swooping and they're, they're looking. And as soon as they see, uh, you know, a body on the side of the road, they all descend on, you know, whether it's the Jacob Blake incident or some of these other incidents, and then they start to pick at that body. And, and that, that is how, and I've, and I've said this before, this is, this is a well-oiled industry. It's not, it's not a grift, because an industry is different than a grift, right? A grift is a sort of simplistic way in which people, you know, prey on suckers to get money. An industry has supply chains, it has raw materials, it has stakeholders, it has shareholders, right? And the, the, the body drops, let's take George Floyd, you, you have you know, a moment of silence, you have the Democrats in the kente cloth kneeling in the rotunda, then all of a sudden, all of the other parts of the creative process are unleashed. Now you go from talking about qualified immunity Right, a policing issue, which is really a, a, a mix between federal, I mean, policing is typically local, but, but they were talking about it on the federal level. Now you're going to corporate board diversity. Now you're going to Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's uh, on, on, you know, on, <laughs> in the grocery store. Now you're going to giving money to Black Lives Matter. Now you're going to making, e first Robin D'Angelo, and then the market corrected itself because it looked bad to have a white woman 
again, feeding off of George Floyd's body, now you make Ibram Kendi the highest selling author in the country. And every time one of these incidents happens, everybody who's been waiting for another one to take place suddenly has an opportunity to make a whole lot of money. And that, that's how you get the curriculum into the schools. All of these things are part of a well-oiled machine. And that's why people like Anna Navarro can focus on Buffalo. And you and I know it, it is a tragic situation. We're not trying to minimize that. It's not the incident, it's the reaction to the incident. And it's the reason why none of these people would ever uh, mention any other crime that takes place in Buffalo unless it had a white perpetrator. Well. Some of what you're describing is what I love to call trickle-down social justice. And mm -hmm. there's the group of highly educated, uh, elite blacks that keep telling black people like, man, if I just get this promotion on the job, boy, it's gonna trickle down on you and your life's gonna be so much better. Right. And if they give me this TV show on MSNBC or CNN, <laughs> wait till you see how the hood gets transformed. And that's why it's hard for they they made this argument, and, and I want your direct reaction to this. They made this argument that, oh man, our ancestors made all these sacrifices so you could vote. And I'm like, no, they didn't. They made all those sacrifices so I could be free and be a mm -hmm. full American citizen. Voting is a part of being a full American citizen. But me being able to go to Ball State on a football scholarship, that's why I believe they made those sacrifices. Me being able to get the jobs and the platforms that I've had uh, and, and help my family, that's why they made those sacrifices. I can live where I want. It, it wasn't, I don't think, if the, I don't think we would have had a civil war or even a civil rights movement, as powerful as it was, if it was just about voting. Right. That was about black men and people being able to get jobs, live where they want, get as educated as they want, be full American citizens. No one would have grabbed a musket in the 1860s if it was just about voting. If black people were free and could do anything they wanted but they just couldn't vote, I doubt if anybody would have grabbed a musket. We'd have just had to keep arguing that in court until the end of time. I don't think people would have stood out on the Edmund Pettus Bridge and faced mm. down dogs and water hoses and batons if it was just about a vote. It's about freedom. And, and they've pivoted us away from valuing freedom to valuing the right to pull that democratic lever. Uh, absolutely, and, and a couple of things I wanna hit on. Um, where you started from, where you talked about how the, the black elite uh, make it seem as if their progress sort of redounds to the benefit of the black middle and, and lower class. And that, that's part of the bait and switch. One of the things that I saw people say when, when Luke asked, well, you know, what are some of the promises that, that presidents or mayors have kept? People would post pictures of Kamala Harris and, and Katanji Brown Jackson. And, and that really is how people think. Because we, um, we are in an era of representation matters and really, as it relates to politics, superficial representation. So there are people who really feel that, wow, like the, the Biden administration is really looking out for me because they have a, you know, a black Supreme Court justice and a, and, a, and a mixed race vice president. 
And, and that is how shallow our politics have become. But to your larger point, I, I agree with you. Again, voting is important, but it's not the only thing in life. And, and freedom itself and liberty are gifts to be stewarded. Now, what happens when you let a formerly enslaved and oppressed people uh, go, when you emancipate them and they become free, now for the first time, they have to decide when and where to go to work. They have to decide how to manage their families. They have to decide all of the things that everyone else was, was deciding for, for generations. And, and by and large, I mean, the, the, the trajectory of uh, you know, people of African descent in this country from enslavement to freedom is, is really an inspiring story. But there's a part of that story where we, we got it twisted and we thought that, to your point, freedom is not the point of it. Voting is the point of it. And one of the things that, that I was, I've been thinking is that, um, particularly for, for Democrats, because Democrats are all about big government, which means more power for them. So, so when the average voter goes in, they pull that lever for, you know, for anybody, Democrat or Republican, they are giving the person they're voting for a job. They are giving that person a nice hefty salary and retirement uh, package. And depending on who you vote for, they are giving that person more power over your life. And one of the things that I said in the piece is that particularly for, for heterosexual black men, they need to understand, we need, well, the ones who vote Democrat, they need to understand that the party has left them. They have no interest in them. The party sees straight white males as the epitome of privilege and power. And right under that is straight black men. So this is a party that's, that's really about um, the LGBT community and women. And, and black men need to realize that this party is against the nuclear family and our role in our families. And we can vote for them and big government uh, or we can vote for ourselves by voting for small government. So Jason, at the end of the day, it's a question for, for men, particularly black men. Do you want to be big or do you want to be small? And that's the question. <laughs> I've corrupted Delano. That's a great way to end the show. <laughs> Tell your wife to cut the show off and don't catch the ending. Tell your minister not to watch the ending. That was great, Delano. Uh, awesome show. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow.